the same space where the knowledge of the Lord brings people together in peace rather than enmity and division. So here is a question I have been pondering, says Don. Why is it that we hear so much divisive language from people of faith? How is it that as people of faith, we have managed to separate ourselves into the same competing tribal identities that are typical in pagan societies? I think I've been guilty of this myself, he says. Who among us has not said, I just can't live with this person or these people? In some ways, it is the natural response that rises from a deeply flawed human beings, as we all are. We are passionate about our values, our positions, and sometimes that passion drives us into a kind of uncompromising conviction that others are so wrong that we can't live with them. The messianic vision of Isaiah is prompting me to think more deeply about what peace in our modern world might look like. Could it be that it is precisely what Isaiah claims it to be? That we don't have to change other people in order to live peacefully with them? That's an important word. A vision of a wolf living with a lamb the leopard lying down with the kid, human beings of different persuasions living together in peace, a little child leading them. That's a Christmas vision worth pondering. Don got me to pondering. And pondering in light of this text that is so um, familiar to us during this Advent season. It truly is a part of the messianic vision that Isaiah is lifting up thousands of years before Christ. But as we Christians who embrace the Old and the New Testament see that it is the coming of the Messiah whom we know to be Jesus that in fact is ushering in this kind of perfect world, if you will, that's driven by a perfect love that God possesses and instills within us. You know, speaking of a perfect world, it reminded me of one of my favorite books. I've been mining this book for years and years, written by Tony Campalo. The book is called The Kingdom of God is a Party, and Dudley Dancer gave me this book. Talk about a party guy. Our associate Dudley Dancer, he loved this book too. I was reading a story in the book where Tony is talking about how he was in a hotel in Zurich, Switzerland. He was watching television. He said he was between flights on his way home from Africa. And there in the hotel, he couldn't really sleep. He was so anxious about feelings of going home and what he had just witnessed and, and all that, that he was just watching TV, he said, when all of a sudden on the screen came the closing celebrations of the Olympic Games. He said at first the teams were wearing their official uniforms and 
carrying their flags, their national flags. They were marching in columns. It was quite a structured, uh, routine celebration of the end of the Olympic Games. He said they looked like soldiers in review. Then suddenly, he said, the Olympians started breaking ranks. They ran and they danced with one another in a spontaneous outpouring of enthusiasm. And these neat columns, as once they were, became just a, 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 a grand and glorious collection of human beings coming together. There were no longer winners or losers or communists or capitalists. There were no longer whites or blacks or Hispanics or Asians, rich or poor. There were only happy, dancing people, hugging each other and loving each other. And in this ecstatic moment, all the divisions between humanity were seemingly wiped away, at least for the snapshot. And the socially created barriers between the peoples of the world seemed to be in a moment forgotten. All at once there was joyful pandemonium and unspeakable joy. You know, as I was reading that, you know, you can't help but get a little excited. You can't help but in your mind's eye see this display of, of, um, of togetherness that, that Campolo is, is describing. And yet we know that part of what was driving that was at least four years of preparation for the games, right? And the games were over. Whether winners or losers, the games were over. And all the energy that, that had been put into this event by these athletes, it was over. And the celebration began. And you can see them coming together because of what had taken place in bringing the world together. But when we read Isaiah... It's not just about the ending of a particular event. It's about a people who are called to read the vision of Isaiah and to hear these words sink within us as those who are the conveyors of this vision. Those who are to lift up the little child who leads us. And those who are to believe that this kind of world, of lion and lamb, and leopard, and kid can in fact come. You know, there is a group of people who have the responsibility of preparing for this perfect world that God is ushering in. There's a group of people who hear that call to follow this little child who brings forth into the world a perfect love that we are called to follow. This morning, I want you to imagine a world in which Christ followers are committed to live like Jesus lived in our daily lives. Imagine that our lives are characterized by the righteousness and compassion and faithfulness and moral courage and passion for justice and a passion to the, tell the world about Jesus Christ, which is our call. Imagine a church unified around the vision of a perfect world that Isaiah described. Imagine a church where we can be passionate about our values and our positions, 
But never let our views fall into a conviction that others are so wrong that we can't live with them. We really don't have to change other people in order to peacefully live with one another. Living out the convictions of unity can transform the world as it stands in disbelief of lambs and lions and leopards and kids being led by a little child. You know, I received a gift this week. A gift in the form of a story that's really a DFW story, but it was told by a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary in a book that she had written to inspire the church to be a church that reaches young adults. Her name is Dr. Kenda Creasy Dean. She told about a story that I remembered in reading. I remember when this happened back in 2008. It happened in Grapevine, Texas of all places. And it happened on a football field, which isn't surprising if it happened in Grapevine, Texas. But the story was about these two football teams. One was Faith Christian School and the other was a school from Gainesville, Gainesville State School. As Dean describes this scene, she talked about Faith's football team. They had 70 players. They had 11 coaches. They had the latest equipment and hordes of involved parents and a student body that was behind the team at every game. The faith lines were 7-2 and two for the season. The Gainesville State Tornadoes, on the other hand, were a little different group. Their record was 0-8 and eight for the year. Not much better than the year before when they were 0-9. and nine. They'd scored two touchdowns all year. And Gainesville's 14 players wore seven-year-old pads and dilapidated helmets and were escorted by 12 security guards who when they got on the field unlocked their handcuffs so that they could play the game. Many of the tornadoes were, convic were convicted of drug um, uh, selling and assaults and robberies and all kinds of things. Many of their families, Dean reports, had disowned them. And they played every single game on the road with no fans in the stands cheering for them. Before the game that year, Faith's head coach, Chris Hogan, had an idea. A strong Christian man he is. He said, what if for just one night that about 200 of our faith school fans decided that they would root for the other team? So he sent out a message, he said, to faith's faithful, we want to convey to these Gainesville kids that they are the most 
special kids on the planet. We want to say to them that they are worth as much as anybody and that God loves them. The families agreed. And when the Gainesville tornadoes took the field, they crashed through a banner that the faith fans had presented that said, Go Tornadoes! And the Gainesville players were surprised to find themselves running through 40 feet of parents in a spirit line cheering them on. And oh, by the way, the coach had recruited the junior high cheerleaders, uh, the junior varsity cheerleaders to be on the tornado side and they led the football team on the field. One of the Gainesville linemen named Alex said, I thought maybe these people were confused. <laughs> and another lineman, Gerald, said, we can tell people are a little afraid when we come in for the games, especially when they take our handcuffs off. But these people were yelling for us. They were calling out our names. Gainesville's quarterback, who was also their linebacker, his name was Isaiah. You get it? Isaiah said, I never thought I would hear people cheering us to tackle their kids. At the end of the game, Faith won 40, or 33 to 14. And the losing team went off the field dancing, holding up their fingers. We're number one. ESPN reported that it was the first ever football coach who went zero and nine to get a Gatorade bath. And when the teams met in the middle of the field, Isaiah asked if he could pray. Isaiah and the quarterback for the tornadoes prayed this Lord I don't know how it happened so I don't know how to say thank you but I never would known there were so many people who cared about us and who would cheer for us. The guards escorted the tornadoes back to the bus and each player received a bag filled with hamburgers and fries and a candy and candy and a bible and and an encouraging letter from a faith Christian school player. And before they stepped on the bus Coach Williams, the coach of the Tornadoes, he turned and grabbed Coach Hogan's shoulder and he said, you'll never know what y'all did for these kids. You'll never know. And the Gainesville players crowded onto one side of the bus as it was pulling away, peering out the windows at an unbelievable sight. People they had never met were smiling at them, waving goodbye, 
and cheering them by name. It was like the wolf lying down with the lamb, the leopard with the kid, the calf with the lion, and the fatling together. And there was no question. A little child had led this event. You know what happened the next year? The next year, Gainesville actually won a game. And when they played the Faith Christian School, they weren't so lucky to win, but the next year, their end zone was painted in their school colors, GSS. And there were 4,000 fans at the stadium. And reporters and television cameras galore. And by the way, several other schools got word of what happened the year before and they gave the tornadoes the same treatment. Friends, when the church follows the little child, and uplifts the grand and glorious vision of the way the world can be. It becomes contagious. And people come to join in. To cheer on others. Because they've been called to. By the little child. Church were to live as if this vision is around the corner unfolding even now we're to be the church that erases divisions and uplifts the fact that we can all be different and still be unified by a vision of a new world amen